Hey everybody, I am so excited to introduce our speaker this morning because he is no stranger to the Creek Church. Jack Willis has been serving as one of our pastors on staff for now over 10 years. And over those 10 years, he has held many different assignments and each one of those assignments he has done with faithfulness and with excellence. So I am super excited to have him share from his heart what God has been sharing with him. So if you would do me a favor and put your hands together and make Jack Willis feel welcome here at our London campus this morning. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Trevor. I have to tell you, I snuck off and got in the back just a minute because if you've not already been reminded what life can be like for you, then you, you've missed the whole point of those songs this morning. Do you believe that there is a God who is faithful, that is faithful in your tough times as well as in your good times, that he is the God that can take faith and he can move mountains, and that he is the God that no matter what is in front of you right now can take that mountain, push it to the side so that you could have a better way. If you believe that this morning, say, I do. I believe that this morning. And if we're not ready to go today, if we're not ready to be in a place when we come together as a church to say, God, my hands are open, my hands are open. My circumstances have been grim. Sometimes they make my fist close. Sometimes my relationships have just done a thing to me this week that I just don't want to think about that person right now. But maybe there's something going on in your life this morning that will prevent you from taking a step forward in your faith. Can I tell you my prayers for you this morning? That your hands would be open and that your heart would receive what God would have for you and to be reminded that he's not done with you yet. That is the message of the cross. Thank you again. Uh, my name is Jack and I've been with the Creek for almost 13 years. I have done a little bit of everything here, and so now in my role, I get to help everybody else do a little bit of what they get to do, and uh, I work with our campuses and our campus pastors, and uh, that's about as good as I can tell you what I do here at the Creek Church. You name it, I probably do it. If it doesn't have anything to do with numbers, I'm good, all right? And so that's what I do. Uh, but I want you to know that my prayer is for God to do something fresh in your life and my life today. Because I believe that we get into places as people and as Christians to where we allow our circumstances to weigh on us in such a way that it can put us in a place to where we get either apathetic, we get numb, we want to throw in the towel, we're tired, we're ready to quit, we're ready for something new to happen. And if I'm completely honest with you this morning, um, the pandemic on and everything that happened with that, you know, it's behind us now. There's a God that's still living and active wanting me and you to take steps forward in our life. And I think that a lot of those past circumstances have kept a lot of us from taking steps forward in our faith. But I want you to know this morning that I believe that if you are a believer, that you have said yes to Jesus, that he has transformed your life, then there is greatness in you and there is greatness still to be had. And if you want God to do something fresh in your life today, would you do this? Just say, I do. You ask him. Let's pray together and we'll get started. Lord God, today we do. We ask that you would do something fresh in our lives. I pray that you would start right here with me. God, that you would take me and take me somewhere you would want me to go, that I would be a difference maker in the lives of people around me, that I would be a better husband, a better staff member, a better employee, a better dad. Lord, I pray that I would be a better friend. Lord, use us today. Do something in us that when we look back at this moment and this time, 20 years down the road, we will know that you were there and you met us and you changed us and we made a difference in people's lives. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Hey, London, I need you to do one more thing for me this morning. Would you go ahead? Would you put your hands together? Would you welcome all of our campuses and all those people that are joining us online this morning? I really do. I have a, a pastor's heart about what I'm going to talk about today. And I have to be honest with you. I think today was more about me than you, so I'm going to go ahead and be selfish about it. But really, my goal is simple today. There's a verse in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 that says this. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. At some point in my life, somebody spurred me on towards love and good deeds, to do good. And at some point, hopefully in your life, somebody has come along and spurred you along for love and good deeds. For some of us, maybe when we found faith for the first time was the first time we understood that somebody wanted something better for our life. So today, I definitely want to encourage you to be open, to take a step forward, because I know the last couple of years have been crazy, and if you're a parent like me, I have a 10-year-old and a 12-year-old. Schedules are crazy. I never know what I'm doing from day to day. As a matter of fact, I forgot there's a soccer match today, so my day is not over when I'm done preaching. I'm going to go to a soccer match, but that always happens, but we have things that, that go on in our lives. And then sometimes, our schedules get interrupted by things that may slide south on us, Something may happen to someone in our life. You never know. A circumstance may happen. There may be an issue with our job. But there's all kinds of things that when they come at us, when they add up, they usually end up making us idle. And today, I don't want us to be idle. And if anything, I want you to leave this place today. If you're watching online, I want you to get in a place today to where you can take a step forward in your faith journey. If you're a parent, hang on, it's crazy. We're all in those seasons of life, we know that. All the older people in the room are just like, I'm glad it's you now, not me, I understand that. But we'll get there someday and we'll say the same thing. But how many of you would agree that there's a lot more room in our world right now for good to be done? That there's enough stuff going on that if enough people would do good, it would make a difference. I wanna tell you about some good that was done towards me, because I think for you to understand how I get to be where I am today, you've got to kind of understand where I've been. And I, and I want to tell you uh, that I'm a 90s kid. I've told you that before when, I, when I've had the, the, the chance. So I want to take you all the way back to 1998. 1998. That's a while ago. That's more than half of my lifetime ago. So as I talk about this, there is a sadness in my heart that I am getting older and not young anymore. But 1998, Bill Clinton's president, there's starting to be a little faint rumbling of this thing that we're going to come to be known as Y2K and chaos is going to interrupt uh, when we get to the new millennium at the end of 1999 and all this stuff's going on. Perhaps you weren't driving around, but I was in my light gray Bronco 2 with some sweet red cloth interior, bought used cigarette holes in the seats, and you were listening to your skip-free CD player that you had an adapter to put in your cassette player because we all had cassette players. And maybe you were listening to some Outkast or Lauryn Hill, you know, a little doo-wop, do that thing. All right, uh, maybe the verb, I don't know. But as I think about this year in 1998, I also know that I was 12 years away from getting married and I was a hopeless romantic and might have had a little Casey and JoJo playing in there from time to time, just wishing for better days, but knowing that God provided 12 years later. Thank you, Lord. But in that car, rolling around, listening to that music, thinking about everything that was going to happen, there, there was a 20-year-old kid and we've all been this kid at some age of ours or not. 
it's not going to be my son or daughter because the way that people talk to them now, get them ready for the future is unbelievable. For me, I was a 20-year-old kid that was lost. I had no idea what to do. I had no idea what the heck to do in my life. I had no idea what I was good at or what I wasn't good at. All I know is that I was in my third year of college without a declared major, and that I had tried two or three different classes of things to try to figure out what it was I wanted to do. I didn't like any of it. Part of it was still because I was trying to embrace liking school still. But I had no major, no idea, no direction. And up until this point in my life, my identity had been wrapped up like so many kids are in athletics. Athletics is what I did, it's what I breathed, it's what I did with most of my time. It's playing the games and it's the practices and it's the workouts. And I even made an impulsive yes on the table to finally go to college because some guy offered me a small scholarship to play at a small school some baseball. So that's how I filtered decision making. Just what's in front of me? Yes or no, let's go. But my identity was going to come to a crash at the end of 1997, right before 1998. Some things had begun to happen. They weren't all bad, but, but one thing that did happen that I, that I hated was I, I lost my sport. You know, I, I was done. I was done playing. And it's a, it's a tough reality when you lose something you love doing. And I had lost that opportunity to play that game at that level for the rest of my life. So I had no identity now at this point. What little bit I had wrapped up in sports was now gone. There was no path appealing to me, and, but I did know for some reason school's probably a good thing, so I probably need to keep going, and I probably need to get a degree, even though I'm going to rack up six years of debt because I have no idea what I'm doing in my life. So when I lost baseball, it changed everything. And, and, there, and there was one thing that had changed in a positive way, though, by the time I was 20. And for about a year and a half through 97 up until 98, my faith was taking a step forward. Now, the backup to that is I grew up in a church, went to church with my family, but I went to a church that I felt at best was just a good thing. Um, but by the time I was 19, it felt irrelevant to me. It was boring. It didn't feel like anybody was speaking to me or talking to me. And it felt like, well, I've done enough of this. I probably have got enough time in. I just quit. So I would. Um, now, my mom and dad had a rule as long as they supported me in any way, whether I lived at, lived at home or not. As long as money was coming out of their pocket to me, I had some things I had to do. So, but when you're after 16 and you've got a license, I would sit in different places in the church that they couldn't see me. The parking lot, upstairs, a pew down the hallway. And what was always funny is when you would catch the one pastor that wasn't in the service and he would ask you why you weren't in the service. And then you would just say, I'm not there because you're not there. Uh, but anyway, you could do things like that. But I really was at a place in my life where faith was starting to take a step forward. And here's why. My mom and dad had decided to go to a new church, to something new. Something new had been birthed out of something that had happened that was bad. But at this new thing, some new things were happening. We went from a, mort uh, a mortar and brick building that had choir robes and pianos and organs and handbells and a small orchestra and classrooms to a metal building with nothing. But something was happening that was different. And I think looking back on that, the needs were known about what needed to happen for church to happen. 
And people were bringing instruments that I thought were not allowed in church that were banned with the devil guitars and all that kind of thing. And then, and, and then there was people coming to church that I'd never seen come to church before. And, 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 and then so something started getting shook up for me as I was watching this thing happen in front of me. But the crazy thing was there was people every weekend. And I say every weekend, no, no, no hyperbole. There was people two or three or five or six that, that, that were turning back to faith or they were coming to faith and their own for the first time. And during that time with all of that, there was a group of men, there was a small group of men that decided they would take interest in me. I, I did not have a good reputation. I would do things chemically and show up in public. You don't get a good reputation doing that. But God had done a work in my life in around October of 97 and what had used to be a faith that I learned was now becoming a faith that I owned. And I saw Jesus clearly for the first time and what he would have for me. I saw him because some people decided to do good towards me. As a matter of fact, when you read the scripture, Psalm 37 verse 27 says, do good. Proverbs 3:27 says, don't withhold good. Galatians 6.10 says, do good to all people. And here I was, a lost kid that had no business hanging around with these guys that were in their mid to late 30s, but they were Christian men, and they took an interest in me. Their proximity to me, they decided to do good towards me. Whether that was intentional or unintentional, here's what I know. They were Christian men that decided to do good. And some good that was done to me along the way came in conjunction with what I was seeing in this vibrant new church with people coming to faith week in and week out. A lot of life change, and I saw a lot of church done different. And leading up to October 1998, I had been slowly getting involved in that church. I would describe my mom and dad at best as being attenders, occasionally doing something, but at best attenders. Occasionally they would go to a Sunday school class, but we always attended the worship service. Now, I was the one that was the star kid because mom decided probably some extra behavioral help's needed, so you're gonna go to open gym, you're gonna go to RAs, you're gonna go to, you're gonna go to Sunday school, you're gonna go to any kind of school that would help get the devil out of you. And so that was the church all the time. But for my mom and dad, they never really did a whole lot but until they got to this new church. And somebody asked them to help serve. And I would watch my dad, who was a blue-collar truck driver. He would get up and put a suit or a blazer on with some sweet khaki pants. And he wouldn't grab a Bible necessarily, but he would grab a poncho and an umbrella, and he would show up in a parking lot to greet people. To which back then, even as a smart like 20-year-old, I was like, why are we helping people park in a parking lot that has limes to park in? But it was a difference maker because it wasn't about the parking, it was about the greeting and meeting people where they were because there was a lot of people, guests that were coming and they were nervous and they didn't know what to expect and didn't know that maybe God had something for them. And so when you got a gray-haired, older, chubby man like my dad and he says hello to you, it tends to take down the walls a little bit and the curtains pull back. And that's what my dad would do and I tell you that because my dad, who would do nothing and blue collar and find himself in a place and not always have the best personal and self-confidence in the world, later down the road would become a deacon at that church. 
But I tell you that because I watched my dad and my mom get involved because there was needs, and I decided, you know what, I don't have anything to do. I don't have baseball anymore. I don't know what the heck to do. I, I don't really have anything to study. There's only so many general credit hours you can take in college. Do you know that? Or at least at the time. So my schedule was wide open. So I would just say, let, let me help. What can I do to help? I didn't know what to do. As a matter of fact, I went to the student minister, the, the guy that was there, his name was Scott. I, maybe I should have changed his name after what I'm about to tell you. But Scott knew my reputation. I didn't even make it to the interview for volunteering. It was, no, you can't serve in the students, which I get it. Probably made a good call on that one, but I get it. But I just started doing whatever. Whether it was taking metal chairs that were in the corner and setting them in the rows so that we could have a worship service. I started doing whatever. And I began to serve. See, God had changed me. And over that year leading up to October of 98, something different had happened. I began to have a relationship, a vibrant relationship with Jesus. I thought that that was just something we talked about. I thought it was just something that we did. I thought it was just something that pastors would preach about and teach about. But I really did. I had an interaction with this man named Jesus, and he changed my life, and he changed it forever. But the greatest thing was I recognized that I could be used for something. And 23 years ago this month, I used to sit... In the very back left corner, that's where my parents sit. So all y'all back there in the left corner, I'm looking at you. That's where we sit. And for about four weeks, as soon as the invitation, we were still good Baptists, even though we were in a new building with new things. The invitation started, I was out the door because I was starting to move away from what God was calling me to. Now, back then, we called it a calling. (laughs) But I think I just volunteered to go serve the church for the rest of my life. And that was 23 years ago. Now, I tell you that today because there was a lot of things that I wish I would have known up to being that 19 or 20-year-old. There's a lot of things I can look back on now to tell you that there's more in you and that there's more for you, no matter how old you are or how young you are, no matter where you've been or what you've done, no matter what you think you know or don't know, no matter how emotional you think you are or how emotional you exist and be. You know, God has something for you. Back then when I was 20, I didn't know anything. When I signed up to serve, I... I, I couldn't do anything. I knew I wasn't going to preach. I knew I wasn't going to play an instrument. I knew I wasn't going to sing. I knew, those were clear. Couldn't do those. But I was a place that had no direction, unequipped. But I just said, let me help do something. Wasn't sure of any talents. And I can certainly tell you I didn't have any personal confidence in what was about to happen. But I did know this. I saw life change in front of me, and I wanted to help people. I wanted to help people that were just like me. Find Jesus. Find Jesus. So let's do good towards other people so that they can experience God's kindness, his mercy, and his grace. And I, and I come to learn through these guys, to be great is just to do good. To do good is simply this, is to serve. It's to serve. I don't think up until I was 19 years old that I was ever asked to serve or do anything, whether it was within our local church or without. Now, I'd watch my mom and dad be kind to people and seen it worked out in the world and all that. But I I don't know that there was ever an opportunity for me to serve. I grew up in the kind of church where you kind of had to be of a certain age to do certain things and to serve and whatever. That's not so here at this church. We've got people serving everywhere. As a matter of fact, my son, uh, he'll be here later today, but my son and my daughter, they serve on our greeting team at our Williamsburg campus. 
They're of the age where they can serve and smile and greet and say hello and help people who are coming onto our campuses have a good start to hopefully a new faith journey. And so we get our kids involved because it's an opportunity for them to learn the things that I learn later in life that they're learning now, that God has made them, he's for them, and there's something better that he can do with them. And so that's what I want to talk about today because the scripture is overwhelmingly clear that what is next for a Jesus follower, that, that, that everything doesn't work up to finding Jesus and coming to salvation, that there's more to that, that actually that is actually the beginning point. That is the launching point. That is the point to where things change for all of us. It is the point to where our minds shift. It is the point to where our emotions hopefully go in another direction, a positive direction. Paul would talk about this and he would let us know that the scripture is overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly clear with who we are and what we are supposed to to do with our lives. Now, it may not be completely spelled out in specifics, but the one thing we are to do is to do good. And doing good is to serve. You can't have one without the other. And in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, here's how Paul's going to talk to us today. Paul's going to say this, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of it, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Or this is your true and proper worship way to serve. This is your true and proper way to live your life. Paul says, when you can see, <laughs> here's what you know as, a, as you get older. I used to hate when old people would say these things to me, but they're right, and I just give it to them. But you've got to have some time in your life in order to look back on your life so that you can see the mercies that God has provided in your life. And up until you find him and you see him at the cross, which is where he said, I love you the loudest. When we get to the cross and he says, I love you the loudest, Paul says, when you can see, then you can see the mercies that I have brought to you. You can see the extent to which God would go to love you and to love me, that God would go all out, that he would step out of heaven and go to a cross so that he could be the sacrifice, so that we could be a sacrifice, a living sacrifice, giving our lives to what? Doing good to other people. So we say we've got to offer our whole body to others that they may see Jesus. So there's this idea of this living sacrifice. I think Paul is pointing back to the old covenant. He's talking about a sacrificial system to where people would take animals and they would go make sacrifices, atonement for their sin. Why? Because there was a sin nature that we had that separated us from a relationship in God. And there was a need for atonement so that we could be forgiven. But in the old covenant, that animal was good for only one time because once it was dead, it was dead. So it was useless. It couldn't do for always what Jesus could do for always. So for us to be living sacrifices is for us to lay who we are on the line each and every day, doing good to one another so that through one another, people can see Jesus and his mercy. Let me just say this to you. If we lived our life, this is always the holy hypotheticals. I hate them, but you got to do them because they, they just help. But could you imagine social media, at sports games, our interactions in the grocery store, if our intent was always to do good? It would change our world. Here's why I know that. Because I watched a small church be birthed out of something terrible. And I watched people who decided to row a boat in the same direction together make a little wake. 
and saw the amount of life changes that happened. Can you imagine what Jesus wants to do with a few good hearts that would say, here I am, use me? We come to faith when we have seen God's mercy clearly. And we can look back at the cross and we can understand who we were in light of who God was and the fact that he loved us. I'm going to go ahead and jump to something that, that, that I shouldn't do, but I want to tell you, I serve out, out of gratitude. That is my motive for serving. And it should be your motive for serving. But that's how God loves. When in view of God's mercy and we live out our life each and every day so that people can be treated kind because it is the kindness that will help people soften and see Jesus. Paul will go on to say in verse 2, don't be conformed any longer. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let me stop you right there for a minute. What does it mean to not be conformed any longer? It means when you become a Christian and I become a believer and we say yes to Jesus, as a follower of Jesus, I say no more to my old ways. It's a new way. It's not that I change my mind again, but I need to be conformed to the way that Jesus thinks about things. Instead of hating, I need to love. Instead of hurting, I need to help. Instead of getting bitter, I need to forgive. This is how it works. It's a new way of living. Jesus didn't just come to save us, but he came to give us a, a good and new way to live. And God wants us to make a difference in the lives of the people around us. So we are to simply do this. Serve. Serve. And around here at the creek, we love to say it this way. It is better to serve than be served. And can I tell you this? I don't know of any time that I've given my life to something good that I've regretted giving my time and energy and effort towards it. But I can tell you, there's a lot of times that 19-year-old and that 20-year-old driving around the car, he would like to have the money back he spent. He would like to have the time back that he lost. And he would love to do things better than what he had done with them in the moment. But we're not supposed to live with regrets either. Because we're not to conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but renewed. You see, Paul would go on in Corinthians and say that there's an old person and a new person. And when you and I come to faith, this old person is gone. There's a new person. So Romans 12, verse 3, it says this. For it's by the grace given me that I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself highly, more highly than you ought. If you're going all the way back to verse 1, in light of the mercies you've received, it's very hard to think of yourself any other way Amen. than the person that God found and changed yeah. and gave a new life to. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. There's an assumption here. God has already given us a level of faith so that we can move forward, so that we can do good and we can be who we are and we can live a rich and fulfilling life. He'll go on to say in verses 4, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have all the same function, so in Christ we... Though many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Today, I, I used to hate messages like this when I was growing up because you would feel like people were trying to coach you or guilt you into serving. But then uh, when you read the scripture, it's clear. The scripture makes assumptions all the time. It's not whether I should serve or not serve. It's just as a believer, I am to do good to all people. It's not a question. But we're all members. This thing called the church is a diverse thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's an incredible thing. You've got gifts that I don't have, and I've got gifts that you, you possess. 
God has built you. He's gifted you. He is the creator that created you in his image. And he gifted you with certain physical gifts and mental gifts. And at and faith, he gave you spiritual gifts. And here's what I know, looking back, and this is what I would tell our young people today. You can't know what God has in you and for you unless you are serving the interest of others. Because that is the only way it gets exposed. I can tell you that in 1998, I just began to serve. Listen, when I finally did get to teach a youth group something, I'm pretty sure I took a parable and was a heretic. But God still uses me. And some reason today, his sense of humor has me standing here on this stage today. I don't understand it. But all of our gifts are different. And here's all I know, is that we're only stronger when we're all using our gifts. We're only stronger when we're together in this thing called the gospel, the church. There's not a question of service here. It is assumed because God has gifted us all with gifts. And if you're like me, that 20-something-year-old kid, you didn't have a clue what you could do or what you couldn't do. In 1999, I got to go out of the country for the first time. I came to find out that the world exists outside of my little rut in southeast Kentucky. Things matter. Experiences matter. And when you do things, it exposes you to the more that you can do. Now, here's what I know. There's a lot of people that are probably sitting in here today watching online. You don't know what you can and can't do. And you sit there and go, I don't know what I'm gifted to do. But I can just tell you, the only thing you've got to do is put your yes on the table. You don't have to know any of that. I served just because my parents were serving. I didn't have a goal. I didn't have an understanding. I just knew that I had two hands and I could move a metal chair. And I volunteered to do it. And that kickstarts a whole thing for anybody in their life. It's not that, and let me tell you this, it's not that you would be in vocational ministry because you don't have my gifts and I don't have your gifts. But God has gifted us in each way to do good. But we can do far more together when we use our gifts together than when we don't use them at all. And we have these different gifts. Romans chapter 12 says this, verse 6. We have these different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. It's not a merit contest. It's not an achievement contest. It's just that God has a plan for your life, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans for a hope and a future. And he wants you to be you where you are. And some of us, we've had so many people in and around us, we could do good to them. And yet we've been blind to the fact that they're in our life because our eyes are on us and not on them. In this world, most people are selfish. We focus on I, me. I'm guilty of that. I focus on I and me. But at 20, I found a new way to think, what Paul was saying a minute ago. When you give yourself to Jesus, you give yourself to this way. And when I began to serve, I began to tap into God's giftings and how he made me and what he had for me. Why? Because at the end of the day, God wants us to simply do this. You've heard it before. To love God and to love people. Because it is through us that people see Jesus. We are what he left to find his grace and his mercy. No matter where people have been, what they have done, how they did it or didn't do it. And he gave us the marching orders to do it. So let me remind you this morning just kind of what those are as a church. Therefore, go. Go. Go and make. Didn't say decide, form a committee, get a game plan. Just go. Go and make. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Mark 12 would record the words of Jesus when he would say, 
The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. You can't love God without loving your neighbor, and you cannot love your neighbor without loving God. You cannot do one without the other. So let me simply say this to you this morning. I I want to encourage you. I want to spur you on to take a step this morning because there's more in you. And I believe that you're in a, if you find yourself in a funk in your life, you're in a funk because you've not taken the right step forward. I'm just telling you, when you give yourself to God's plan and to God's will, your life will be fruitful, joyful. It will be overflowing, exceeding in abundance of love and grace. You will be able to look back at the cross and you can see how God has been more merciful for you more loving towards you, more forgiving in all that we've done. God is for us, not against us. He has a hope and a future. Pandemic, no pandemic. Schedule, no schedule. Busyness, whatever it is that's going on in your life. Here's what I know. Wherever you're at, God has strategically put you there to do good so that others can see his grace and their life can be changed. God's will is for you and I, is for you and I to make a difference, to make a difference in other people's lives, but the lives that we live. That's it. That's it. And so for the rest of our life, from salvation on, we are supposed to use our lives to make a difference in the people's lives in which we live. Dad, that starts at home. Mom, that starts at home. That starts with each of you before it even starts with your kids. It starts at your office, maybe, with a coworker, with that family member you're getting ready to have to spend some holiday time together but it starts with doing good. You see, serving, here's what serving does. It puts the gifts to work. And when we serve one another, we tap into our gifting. And I don't know about you, and this may just be personal to me, but when I found my gifting, I found my identity because I knew it was in Christ that he could use this kid from southeast Kentucky with no dreams, no real dreams, no real hope, who thought he was going to be a baseball player. Well, I don't know how long. That was an idiot thing to think. But anyway, but that was me. And he could take you and use you to make a difference in people's lives. I'll tell you this story real quick. I started serving in the church, and basically, since I did athletics, I always got stuck doing recreational things at church. I was a heck of a dodgeball player. That goes with baseball. But anyway, we would go to these, we went to this apartment complex one time to do a little camp for kids. And here's this guy. I've not been really trained. I don't know anything. And then the pastor that we're with goes, hey, you're the oldest one here. I've got to leave and go take care of something across town. Can you hang on to this just for a minute? Well, I'm an idiot. I just said, sure. And then not thinking that we had a team presenting the gospel to little kids. And I remember them bringing this little girl named Amber And they said, she wants to make a decision to follow Jesus. Can you help her? In my mind, I would say, no, no, I can't. I can't do that. I don't know know what to say to her. So I sat down, and and I just talked to her for a little bit. And I told my story. And that's all you need to do is tell your story. And about two weeks ago, I saw Amber. Been a long time. A mom now. But I remember in those moments feeling unequipped, feeling very much out of place, and begging for the pastor to get back to make sure that girl's safe and I didn't do anything to harm her path towards Jesus. 
And he did. And I, I say that to say this. God will put you in some uncomfortable situations sometimes. But not because you're unequipped. Because you're equipped to do good to other people. To serve each other. And I'm just going to go ahead. I'm going to let you off the hook today. Today is not about asking you to serve or not. I'm not going to do that. I'm not even going to beg you to do that. We have needs of the church. We have needs of the church because we have a vision worth fighting for. So our needs never go away. But we need you. We need you to be the church where you live. We need you to be on our teams here at the church. But we need you to begin to express the, God, the gifts that God's given you to make a difference in people's lives. Start somewhere. But I will ask you the question today is what are you doing to help others? What are you doing to help others? What do you do to help others? I, I sit and ask that question still all the time. What do I do? Because I feel like I just get sidetracked all the time. What am I doing to make a difference in people's lives? Do you know that there's more in you to love people? Do you know that there's more for you? But the only way, I can tell you this, the only way this morning is that if you would take a step in the right direction. And it could be some, some act of kindness that you're doing that begins to show you what God has for you in your life. There's more in you. Let me give this to you. I got five examples I want to give you from Scripture real quick. Number one, David was a door dasher. His dad asked him one day to take some loaf of bread and go out to the battlefield where his brothers were. And when he, when he got to the battlefield, things changed. He, he didn't head out to the battle that day thinking he was getting ready to grab a slingshot and three stones. He headed out to feed his brothers so he could come back and report to dad what was going on. He wanted to gossip the other day. But he was just obedient to do good and to take something to his brothers. And we all know what happens with King David. He slays Goliath and goes on to be the king after God's own heart. There was a seamstress in the book of Acts, Tabitha. Greek, Dorcas. But Tabitha was known for her kindness and serving other people with her skills and her gifts. She must have been pretty important because this is the one instance outside of really Jesus that we see a resurrection because she was so valued in that community that she, was, she had died. But she was just a seamstress and saw needs and helped people in their need. Jesus told a story about a Samaritan who just provided some first aid to a guy that had been beaten and left on the road to die. Not only did he do that, but he took him to an inn and gave him some money at the inn so that they would take care of him so he could heal and get better. Jesus, there would be a night at the table before he was arrested and tried and, and everything that comes with the cross that he would get up from the table. And there was a common need during that day to clean the feet at the dinner table. And he would get up as the God who stepped out of heaven and he would kneel down with a towel and a basin and he would wash his disciples' feet as an example of how we're supposed to be to other people. There was a lifeguard, Pharaoh's daughter. Moses was put in a basket as a baby and sent down the river. And she just happened to be there at the time that this baby was there. But instead of Moses drowning, she takes him in as an adopted mother and raises him. And one day he would lead the people out of Israel, which ultimately lines up in our faith journey as people. And if it was just people at the right time, in the right place, doing the right thing, and doing good to other people. You know God stepped out of heaven to serve you? 
All the more reason Paul uses the phrase in view of God's mercy. That there was a God who was not far off, but he came near. So that we could be loved. John would say he was the word of God and he came and he dwelt among us. Jesus would say, I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. That's why I'm here. He would also say, I've come that you may have life and you may have it full on. Jesus would also say, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So in the beginning of Romans chapter 12, when Paul says for us to live our lives as living sacrifices, we are to be Jesus to a broken world. And if you're a believer today, you are living proof of what God can do with just a small yes on the table. You are living proof of what God can do and what others can benefit from when you serve other people. And here's what I would tell you as a pastor today. There are needs. There's more to do. There are more people being born every day. There are people who have still never met Jesus there are people that still need help. There are people who will still need your skill set, your resources, your time, and your energy. And there's more to do. Can I tell you why there's more to do? Because you've come to the wrong church if you come just to attend church. You've come to the right church, though, that believes that there is more, that believes in this mission that God has given us, to go and make disciples. We believe it so much that we ask a bold prayer for God to give us Kentucky. Give us Kentucky. Let us make a difference where nobody seems to care. And here's what I know. We can't do it without you. And God has strategically put you here with your giftings to do good work. So I want to ask you a question today. And I, I, I want to give you two questions to ask our team today. And it's the question I asked when I was in my 20s in 1998. When you don't know what to do, here's what you do. What can I do? How can I help? What can I do? How can I help? Say that with me. Ready? One more time. Ready? What can I do? How can I help? Let's do it one more time. What can I do? How can I help? So today, with my job, I want to introduce you to some of our staff. Because our staff are here to help equip you. And they're also here to do incredible things. And can I say this to you? When you join one of our teams here in the local church, it's the easiest first step to serving you may be a seamstress, but you may not know who you can help. You may be a couple and you don't have kids and one day maybe you adopt a kid. Those are big specific needs that are out there. But I want to help you get started in understanding even more of how God's made you. Because with all of us on board, doing good, life will change. This is Zach. Zach leads us here in London week in and week out. He leads our worship teams. He's responsible for coaching up our teams and helping our teams that work on our campuses. That way when we create these environments where we want people to meet Jesus for the first time, he gets to work with the incredible talented people that we get to have on our campuses. Maybe you're a musician. Maybe you're a singer. Today, at the end of our service, you can walk out to the foyer and go up to Zach and say, how can I help? What can I do? Sean? Sean works with our pastoral care. He takes care of everybody. But he also leads our guest services teams here in London. 
He's the one that helps put people in place to have a kind word and a good smile so that when people walk on our campus and they're nervous for the first time, they can feel comfortable about what's about to happen for them. Our guest service team is one of our most incredible teams because without you, we can't serve those who are coming. And who's coming? The people that you influence each and every day in your life. Sean is out today serving in another ministry capacity, but I'm going to be Sean in the foyer today. Where you can see one of our green shirt people and you can look at them and say, what can I do? How can I help? And let me tell you something. Our teams are really good. Our team leaders do such a great job. When you look, sometimes you don't look and see a need. You see it covered. But there are needs, and we need you for our environments to help reach more people and what we're doing here at the Creek Church. Dylan. This is Dylan. Dylan leads our upfront high school ministry. I was trying to think of how I wanted to word it, but there's not a greater ministry to help our kids when they come to faith learn how to own their faith so that they can live out their faith as an adult. And Dylan and his team are doing an incredible job, but they do a lot, they do a lot to spend time with your student, your sixth through 12th grader. They need help with everything from group leaders to always people that are willing to help set up and tear down the events they do week in and week out. Dylan's a young guy and he needs your help. And he, he might, you know, don't be intimidated to him. Go up to him in the, in the foyer and say, how can I help? What can I do? Ethan. This is Ethan. Ethan leads our Kids Creek environment this morning and he also helps with our middle schoolers and up front. And Ethan wants you on his team. He wants you on his team. What we do back in the back with kids is invaluable. I can tell you as a dad, take off the pastor hat. It's been an invaluable thing what my kids have been invested in over the last 10 and 12 years of their life at our church. I say that because this is the only church they've ever known. And you can do a great work by helping out there in one of the rooms, being a group leader, hanging out in the nursery, being a security guy, being a check-in person, doing what we need to help serve people. But go meet Ethan. Next was Tanner. Tanner makes everything in here look good that you're seeing this morning. So maybe you would want to work on his team. They sit behind the cameras, they sit behind the equipment, and they make the people on stage look good and sound good. They're the ones that are working behind the scenes so that we can reach thousands online and everywhere else. Maybe you don't have a skill or a set there, but maybe you would want to learn. You can go up to Tanner in a minute and say, Tanner, what can I do to help? What can I do? How can I help? Brooke. Brooke leads our media team. She's the one that makes us all look good. She is in need of people to do photography and the different things with print media. If you, you have a, a gift or a skill set for that and you want to learn more, I want you to go meet Brooke here in just a minute. And just look at Brooke and say, how can I help? What can I do? And then Sue. Sue works and heads up our cafe out here, which helps people take their first steps and have some of their first conversations when they come to our church. We have these areas strategically so that we can help meet the needs of people in our area. And if that's a place we would love for you to serve there, all you gotta do is go up and say, what can I do? How can I help? What can I do? How can I help? So let's look at these questions one more time. What can I do? How can I help? Where do you start? When you serve, you begin to tell your story. Let me just tell you this. 
You tell your story of how you've overcome. More importantly, you tell the story of how you've overcome through God's love, mercy, and grace that you met a man, his name was Jesus, and he gave his life for your forgiveness. We serve not to get something, but to give something today. We serve not to get something, but to give something. So where do you start? You start out of a place of gratitude. I'm grateful that God loved me and has equipped me, and I serve because he asked me to be obedient. God does not delight in sacrifice, but he delights in our obedience. So we serve out of our obedience towards God. There is no spiritual retirement this side of heaven, and there is no spiritual unemployment this side of heaven. You serve not to get something, but to give something. And Romans chapter 12 finishes like this. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. Don't stop, don't quit, don't give up, don't throw in the towel, don't get apathetic. But keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, and share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. You using your gifts and serving will make a difference in someone's life at any given moment, with any given interaction, with a smile, a kind word, a plate of food. We need you. We have a big vision with Give Us Kentucky, and we have a mission that is worth it. Among you are going to be some that one day will be on our staff. Among you are some that are just going to serve and knock it out on one of our service teams. But we have a mission that's worth living out because there are people far from God. Your family members, your friends, your kids, your grandkids. And together, rowing the boat in the same direction, we can make an incredible difference. Success in serving. Success in serving. Success in serving. Will not be dependent on our experience or our expertise. So don't worry about that. It's not based on your youth or your wise old age. It's not an age thing. It is not based on being comfortable or uncomfortable. Believe me, it goes both ways. It is not about where we have been or any level of personal confidence that we have or do not have. It is about loving God and loving people. It's that simple. Now here's one of the principles I learned at 23 years old. Serve the Lord with gladness. I don't know what you need to do today, but I know to get out of the funk you're in in your life, the one thing you can do to begin to move out of it is to serve. Some of you, you checked out. You checked out a long time ago. It's time to check in. God's game's still going and life's still happening and there's lives that need to be changed. There's ministries that need to be had. There's needs that need to be covered and we can only do it with everybody. Serving and doing their part as members of a body. We're going to sing a song in just a minute, and we're going to pray. And I want you just to think about your life and where you were when God first met you, and where you were when you found that you could make a difference in somebody else's life. Would you pray with me this morning? God, we're grateful for today. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, looking back in my life, I'm grateful that there were a few men that decided to do good towards me. Because God, you had a bigger plan for my life, bigger than I could ever dream or imagine, just like you do for all of us. 
Lord, you didn't come just to save us. You came to save us and allow us to be used to make a difference in others' lives. There's no greater privilege. Lord, I pray that today that we'll be reminded of the grace that we found in you, the love that you surrounded with, and the mercy that you gave to us when we were not worthy of that mercy. Lord God, we have overcome because of your great grace and love for us. And it's in Jesus' sweet name we pray.